0: Take your Bible and turn to the book of John, John chapter 15, John 15. You'll find it on page 901 of the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please, uh, as a gift from us to you, take one of those copies with you home and we pray and trust it'll be helpful to you to know God's word given to us that we're looking at in small part this morning, this section in the gospel of John in John 15 if you've been a christian and read much of the bible you probably are very familiar with this passage it's a famous one and i've been really looking forward to us together coming to it and expectantly seeing what god has to tell us about life with him John 15:1 through 8 what do you know about plants I'm not talking about like biology and chlorophyll, but what do you know about growing plants? Have you ever gardened? Have you ever planted a seed and cared for it and watched it grow? Have you ever grown something you could eat from seed to fruit or vegetable? My last place where we lived, I got a chance to try my hand at gardening. I invested and witnessed the miracle of growth over time, and it's astounding. I spent a lot of time, because I was trying to find ways to use my time, I spent a lot of time observing how plants grow on a daily basis. And I realized over the course of that time that when you spend time around plants, you learn some valuable lessons about life. And so it's no surprise that Jesus Christ often used agriculture to illustrate his teaching. And one of the most memorable times is in our passage this morning, John 15, 1 through 8, which I'm going to read now. Please follow along as I read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Picture the vineyard. Uh, Imagine the trellis with the vine growing up and over. All along that vine are, are branches shooting off of it in either direction. And some branches have leaves. Others have leaves and fruit. And there's a man walking the row with scissors in his hand. Shearers, pruning shears. He examines each branch. And the ones that don't have any fruit, he clips off, discards. The branches that have fruit, he carefully reaches in, snips off any growth on that branch that isn't contributing to the growth of the fruit. This is the picture Jesus paints for his disciples as they go with him towards his arrest and his crucifixion. He has been telling them recently, we've been hearing him say to them that he's about to leave them. Promising that one day he will return to them and bring them to where he's going, to the Father in heaven. Jesus assures them that as he leaves, he's going to leave with them his Holy Spirit to help them. But there will be this period of time... Before he returns for them. When they will need to live without Jesus' physical presence with them. This life without Jesus, yet with Jesus in this world, is the focus of chapter 15. We'll come back to it in the next couple weeks. But my aim for us this morning is, is to see that this vineyard Jesus is talking about is a parable for your life and my life. We are in this picture. And seeing ourselves here, that we would then evaluate our lives as God does. And seek to be fruitful for him and for his glory. To help us locate ourselves in the vineyard that, that Jesus describes. And evaluate our lives as God does. I'm going to ask us three questions based on this te- text. Three questions. Kind of be the structure of our time this morning. In this text, question number one What kind of branch are you? What kind of branch are you? Second, what branches have fruit? What branches have fruit? And third, what will happen to the branches? What will happen to the branches? So let's start with that first question What kind of branch are you? Follow along again as I read verse one and two. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. In this picture, God, the Father, is the vine dresser, the the one who made heaven and earth, the creator of you and me. And He walks through this vineyard evaluating the branches which represent us. And the evaluation He makes is simple fruit or no fruit? No fruit, He cuts it off. Fruit, He carefully prunes. So, in God's evaluation, what kind of branch are you? It's uh, clear to me at age 40 that there is always some sort of personality test or tool in vogue. It changes throughout the years. Um, Some are popular today. There are some that have been all the rage in previous decades. I'm sure there will be other ones that will come. I think these things can be useful, not conclusive by any means. And I'm kind of fascinated by how they keep being so popular. I wonder if the prevalence of the personality test or personality evaluation tool speaks to a desire people have to both understand who they are and to have that recognized and validated by other people. One potential consequence of these tools and tests is one might conclude that because you are a certain type, or a certain number, or a certain sequence of letters, others should not expect you to be anything outside of that description. I'm a one. Don't expect me to be an eight. These tools can, if unchecked, cause us to start demanding that other people's evaluation of us always must match who we first understand ourselves to be. Which I think is different from what Jesus says here. Who in the vineyard determines the standard of the evaluation? Who who decides whether you're a non-fruit branch or a branch needing to be pruned? It's the Father, isn't it? What's his evaluation based on? What he determines is fruit or no fruit. See, we live in God's vineyard. We are here, all of us, as branches, not as autonomous life forms. God made us for a purpose. You cannot truthfully and conclusively answer the question, who am I, without first asking, who has God made me to be? Your value and your purpose are derived from God many of us would admit that at some level, we really care what people think of us. We are regularly living with the hope that we can earn, receive, curry the approval and positive evaluation of others. In his helpful book on the subject, When People Are Big and God Is Small, Ed Welch says we do this because in our heart, there is a fear of man, a fear of man. But but that short-sighted fear, it's, it's limited. It's a, it's a shortcoming in our ambitions that can be seen as we return to this vineyard. You see, if you take that, that this, this kind of looking to other people alone for approval or value, this fear of man, in the vineyard, this looks like branches looking at other branches trying to make sure that One branch meets the approval of another branch. I'm going to try to have bigger or smaller leaves. I'm going to be a more rigid branch or a droopier branch. All the while, God cares about something else entirely. Fear of man operates from the deception that there is no vine, no vine dresser, and that we are all independent, autonomous branches, and it doesn't really matter primarily if any fruit comes from us. It points us in all the wrong directions. In all our striving for others' approval, do we realize that it has nothing to do with fruit bearing for God? See, the fear of God that the Bible promotes and Jesus is seeking to lead us in here, that's a heart posture that cares most about who God has made you to be and desires then out of that to be as as much as you can be that as much as you possibly can and that's what god is aiming at in terms of growth in your heart that he's wanting to to pull you away from these unhelpful not life-giving pointing us away from the fears of man the idols of our heart all that stuff he is taking us and Pulling us and pushing us and prodding us towards the growth in our heart. And we see him doing that as the vine dresser pruning. Or as Jared read from Hebrews 12 earlier. Disciplining us because he loves us. He removes unhelpful distractions. He adjusts misplaced dreams. He brings unexpected trials. Why? So that you will be guided and moved to more and more experience life lived in his love. Jesus's words prompt us to check our life for fruitfulness. Because the Father evaluates our life on the basis of our fruit. So what kind of branch are you? Are you fruit bearing or not? Well, you might ask, how would I possibly know? Well, that takes us to our second question. Question number two, coming from the text for us this morning to evaluate our lives. What branches have fruit? Let's read verse 3 through 5. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And when I ask you, you know, what kind of branch you are, ask myself that. Maybe we instinctively say, well, if you tell me the fruit God is looking for, I can work on growing it. What's the fruit exactly? And I'll put my energy this week into that. Well, we are going to see more about that next week. So it is coming. It's not as if Jesus doesn't say anything in answer to that question. He does. And in short, the fruit is self-sacrificial love for others. As we wait for next week, perhaps use this week, evaluating these areas of your life, your job, your parenting, your friendships, your finances, your time, to see if the fruit of self-sacrifice appears on those branches of your life as we look forward to next week. But before Jesus outlines the fruit God is looking for, he addresses a more immediate evaluation we should make. To what is the branch connected? Where does the branch receive the life needed to grow the fruit? See, in checking for fruitfulness, we must first check to see if our life is connected to and dependent on Jesus. The very thing that Jeff prayed for earlier would be true about us. In God's vineyard... Jesus is the vine. He says it twice. He says, 15.1, I am the true vine. He says it again, verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Every branch depends on the vine to receive what is needed in order to grow the fruit. Only Jesus connected and Jesus dependent lives bring about the fruit that God is looking for. Now, although Jesus will soon be absent from them physically, the disciples' lives are going to continue on just as dependent on Jesus as when he was with them. Jesus wants them to know that as they've begun, so they must remain even when he leaves. Remain is another way to read that word abide. That in your translation probably is how it's written abide or remain And it's an important word. It appears seven times in these eight verses. These verses are all about the importance of persevering in life with God. Jesus says, I'm going. And yet through my spirit, I will remain in my people. And you show you are the fathers by remaining in Jesus. Christian, as we hear Jesus say... I am the vine and I live in you and you abide in me and I remain in you. Think and be encouraged on the spiritual reality active right now in any of your present circumstances. Jesus has taken up residence in you. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, doesn't that make you just breathe out a sigh of relief? The one who powers the universe, who we praised in song, all praise to him, the God of life and light, who formed the mountains by his might. And that God who powers the universe has made his home in your heart. The one who is shield and refuge, shepherd and savior, redeemer, friend, king, the one who faithfully. Always, Unforsakingly loves your soul. He remains in you through every season. Every trial. Every heartache. Every hurt. Every suffering. Every setback. At the end of chapter 15. Jesus will explain that not everyone will like the fact though. That we as Christians rejoice in it. Not everyone will like the fact that he is the vine and they are branches. Despite how good Jesus is and the life he provides, some just don't want to be dependent on him. Now with all the flaws and the weaknesses and the inadequacies... In the brokenness of our world, you would think that we would welcome Jesus' invitation to, to shrug off the sense of responsibility that life hangs in the balance because of us or it rests on us. You would think that we would have learned as a people that that is not a good way or a good approach or a solution in that. We've tried that in every generation, and we've never succeeded. You would think that we would welcome Jesus' invitation to depend entirely on him. But in our sin and our twisted up way of thinking, we try so hard to be independent. We anxiously toil to make a name for ourselves. We worry and plan to provide a lifestyle. We get agitated and irritated when things don't go. How we tried to make them go. Jared, thank you for leading us in confession of that. I felt the conviction of myself. I'm glad to know that Jesus welcomes us to bring our sins to him and our failings. And he provides forgiveness and life. Friends, Jesus is telling us you can't get life without God. Listen to Jesus telling you the truth. Apart from him, we can do nothing, he says. We might say, well, I've done a lot without Jesus. Are you sure? Who was it that made you? Who decided to give you talents and abilities that you've used to your benefit when others just as deserving of you didn't receive the same? Did you plan at your conception to have your life go the way it went that led to opportunity and open doors? In his kindness, you are drawing breath from God today so that you might hear him invite you to be dependent on him as you've been created to be. So that you might receive something that you could never make for yourself, which is eternal life in Jesus. I know for a fact in my own life that we can be busy with a lot of things. And still Jesus says if we do them without him, we're wasting our lives on things that don't matter. Only the things he empowers in us are the things he cares most about that matter eternally, that last. The rest, he says, is like dust. Yeah, it might occupy part of our life. There might be things that we need to work for, like money to put food on the table. Sure, but it won't remain. It's not eternally significant. It's a mist that vanishes with the wind. Be careful to discern the difference between a busy life and a fruit-bearing life. They are not always the same. Perhaps you, like me, need to confess to Jesus and repent of self-dependence. How we wake up many days with the idea that we're going to plan with our wisdom, work with our strength, advance with our gifts, thrive on our health and wealth. Perhaps you, like me, need to confess to Jesus and repent, trying to attach our branch to false finds that promise life, but don't give it. You can plug a cord into an electrical socket, But unless the power's on, nothing's going to happen. We plug our hearts into the promise of money, the promise of fulfillment from love from others, the promise of pleasure, the promise of comfort, the promise of happiness, the promise of power or praise. But there is no power for life in any of these things. And our souls will wither waiting for for what will not come. Jesus is the true vine and we truly are branches. And this is really helpful for us as a church. As Jeff said, as he opened his prayers, we enter a new chapter and we look to the future. We want to continue for our church and our whole approach to growth, whatever that might be here, to be built around Jesus, our vine. (laughs) Whatever it is we're going to endeavor to be or do whatever mission or ministry we embark on, or however our size or our budget increases or decreases, we want to remain in Jesus. The life of Jesus in our church is the life of our church. The life of Jesus in our church is the life of our church. So how do we as individual Christians here and as a church abide or remain in Jesus? Well, I think Jesus would direct us to one particular thing in this section. Then we'll think about another in the third question. But we abide and remain in Jesus by remaining in his word. Remaining in his word. Twice in this passage. In verse 3, he says, Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And then in verse 7... If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus refers here, both these places, to his word. In verse 3, Jesus, I think, is referring back to John 13, verse 10. When he washed his disciples' feet before they ate their last meal together. And he pronounced them clean. Jesus was anticipating in those words and that pronouncement. That soon he was going to act in such a way that would Enable these words to be true in his disciples. He's going to soon die on a cross. He's going to be a sacrifice whose blood would clear the guilt of our sins against a holy God. He is finishing out his perfect righteous life as God and man, and his standing before his Father would at the cross be exchanged to anyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ. His righteousness given to us is our righteousness, and in exchange, Jesus would become sin for us. Take our sin on himself and die in our place on the cross. So Jesus' words are not offering empty platitudes or merely reflecting the fact that that the disciples' feet were clean. Jesus' words would soon be backed by his death and his resurrection, carrying the power to render stained, guilty, and dead sinners clean, cleared, and alive in Christ. The word of Jesus is the power to, sus- to save us and sustain us. His word is how life begins and continues in us. We do not live on bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for from his fullness We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. If Jesus' words carry the power to bring life, it also carries the power to sustain our life. And so in verse 7, Jesus says to remain in him is to remain in his word. This is why we build our gatherings around God's word. Especially the words of Jesus that tell us the good news of the gospel. This is why we want our conversations with each other to be biblical at some point, and maybe at many points. I assume we're regularly reaching out to each other in this church for help and counsel, advice and wisdom. And if you're not doing that, maybe that's another way that you can be connected to the vine. If a brother or sister asks you for your opinion, what they would probably be most helped to hear is God's truth. Reminders of it, encouragements in it, reflections that you've had, or experiences where God has taught you through His Word and you've acted in faith or maybe in foolishness and you've seen His Word prove true. Think of places where Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter that your friend or brother or sister is coming to ask you to help them think through. Let that be a question. What does God say about this? And then take them there and let your opinions, whatever they might be, to give them follow clearly from Jesus's truth. As one of your pastors, I speak for all of the elders here. Our prayer as your pastors is that we would all, including us, remain in Jesus's words that God's Spirit would be helping us know God's Word and that we would be able to counsel each other with His Word. That we will take advantage of discipleship relationships and Bible studies and training opportunities. That the word will guide the elders as we seek to lead and direct. That we will not tire of the simplicity of Jesus' vision for how we should live in him by remaining in his word. But yearn to explore the scriptures for the life they describe and give in Jesus' name. If you're not currently reading the Bible with any regularity, maybe it's fallen off for you, let me encourage you to begin that. If you're not sure where to start, start in John. Start at the beginning of the book. And it would not be weird at all if you asked someone here this morning to do that with you. That would actually be great because in asking someone else you might feel like oh, I'm admitting I don't know things or feels really vulnerable but what you're actually doing is encouraging someone else to get into the word which is where the life comes from through Jesus how could that be any how could that not be anything but good for the person you're asking and I'm sure they'll receive it as such perhaps It's a peer. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's someone younger older than you. uh, Just ask somebody. Invite somebody. Even Even if your practice is regularly in the word. Think about how God has been preparing you in that to do it with other people. Now an opportunity to serve. We abide in Jesus by remaining in his word. You notice that. Essentially, Jesus is saying in these verses that our connection to God's word and to Jesus the vine through it determines our fruit bearing capacity. People who are dependent on Jesus, people who are remaining in his word, remaining in him through his word, those are the branches that bear fruit. Jesus is not actually encouraging us to make the life and growth of the fruit our main focus, is he? Jesus is taking responsibility for your fruitfulness. He's saying the power and the resources and the growth. This is what the vine, me, Jesus, delivers to you the branch. It comes to you when you're connected to me. If the life of Jesus is running through you, there will be fruit. So what makes us fruitful branches in the grand scheme of things is our enduring connection to Jesus Christ. So we've been evaluating our lives from God's perspective as a master, as the master of the vineyard. I hope you and I have been able to assess what kind of branches we are, whether or not our life is connected to Jesus, especially in faith and belief in his death for us, his resurrection to accomplish victory over our sin, our enduring trust in him to navigate life with us, in us, through us, that 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 is the relationship that we have with him. I hope that's you and that you can see that you're positioned to bear fruit for him. But if not, I'd welcome the conversation. Maybe I can talk to you more about how you might connect your life to the But let's see see the third question raised by this text. The third question what will happen to your branch? What will happen to your branch? Let's read verse 6 through 8. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I remember the first year I attempted to grow tomatoes. A tomato plant is actually a vine. And if you do nothing with it, it will grow along the ground and it will sprout a lot of branches. And usually not very much fruit. And not knowing any better, that is exactly what I did. The first year I grew tomatoes, and by the time the tomatoes should have been appearing, I had a giant mass of tomato branches and very little fruit. And so the second year I took a different approach. I attached the vine to a pole, I pruned all but a few of the branches, and the difference was incredible. The branches that remained were very fruitful. And if a branch sprouted that ended up not having fruit or was pulling life away and energy from the fruit that was already there, I'd immediately cut it off, not worrying about what was going to happen, knowing that the life of the vine needed to get to the branches most obviously investing in growing fruit. God says as a vine dresser, he makes these decisions to prune or to cut away on the basis of whether or not fruit is being born. I don't know if as we read our public uh, corporate reading from our statement of faith earlier about what's going to happen at the end with the righteous and the wicked. I I don't know if you believe God will judge your life or not. And if you do, I don't know if you have clarity on what standard he's going to use. But I do hope that you come away from this text this morning with clarity about that. God evaluates us based on whether or not we've lived connected to Jesus. Rejecting his life or receiving it. Anyone who decides to live apart from Jesus is a dead branch. Even if they look really religious on the outside. There is only death apart from God for those who have refused life from God. There is no life without God. If you want eternal life... It comes from God and it happens with God. I hope you see that. I pray you believe it and receive it from Jesus. But for those of us who remain in Jesus, there is sustained life with God. That's why Jesus brings up prayer in verse 7. Do you see that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right after he talks about remaining in his word, Jesus talks about the life sustained by prayer with God. Unlike the branch that gets cut off, the branch that remains has full access to the life that comes from the vine. So in chapter 4, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he came to earth. He's returning to heaven to bring them life with the Father. Even as he leaves them, Jesus is returning to the Father and he's bringing their prayers with him, he says. From his new place in heaven at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is now going to be an intercessor for his people, for us. He's going to regularly speak to God the Father on our behalf. As the Spirit works in us to shape our desires for Jesus' life to be our life, we breathe out those desires to Jesus in prayer who combines our prayers with His own expressed desires to the Father. And the Father hears our prayers united to the Son and He says, I'll do it. In prayer, we tell God our need for His life. And in Jesus' The Father answers with what we need for our life with him. So here in verse 7, Jesus is highlighting the importance of word, which we thought about a minute ago, and prayer for abiding in him. Notice how the word sets the agenda of our prayers. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. What is the ask of the person whose heart is full of Jesus' words? Won't it be prayers like his words teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, glorify your name. Bring your kingdom. Do your will. Give us what we need for today. Forgive us all our sins. And we will forgive others. Keep us from falling into wickedness, Lord, and sin. Fight and win against our spiritual enemies today. You're the King, God. You have power. And as you answer this prayer, please get the glory. Amen. So as you endeavor into prayer, even this week, even today. Take a few minutes to align your desires to Jesus's. Picture Jesus at God's right hand. The one who gave his life for you to bring you into his eternal family. What is Jesus? Why did he come here and live how he did and suffer as he did and die as he did and rise in power as he did and go back to the father as he did and sits there as he does in that position? What does Jesus want for you? He wants you to remain in Him. He wants you to stay connected to Him so that you'll be with Him eternally. He and the Father want to give you everything you need to make that happen. What do you need? You need grace, you need faith, you need strength, you need endurance. You need increased love for him and his people. You need wisdom. These are the wishes of the heart that come out of the people who want to be with Jesus, which we do. So let's fill our prayers full of the desires of Christ for us. Grace, strength, endurance, wisdom. Church, prayer from God's word for God's will to be done. This is our part in the fruitfulness that God will provide. And so that we will remain in Jesus, let's pray together. As my wife has often encouraged me, she says, the way forward is prayer together. I've seen that. Time and time again, as reluctant as I and my self dependence can be. It's true. The way forward in life with God is prayer and prayer together. So if you can come to our midweek gatherings and pray, please do. But even if you can't do that, I, I like us. This is very practical and, and I really mean it. And if we're going to be active together, of one mind, one heart, One goal and ambition. I want to give us this suggestion, maybe even more than a suggestion, just an invitation to take Jesus up on his word here. I'd like us to invite and start finding church members we live around or work near or go to school with or some other natural kind of touch point you might have with others in this church and begin meeting up during the week to pray to pray if you would like to know how you can serve our church in your limited amount of time you can give this is how if you'd like one day to be a leader in our church this is what it looks like to lead others in Jesus If you don't feel like you have much to give, or very few gifts to give it with, or know how to prioritize what time to give to what, put this at the top of your priorities. And as you meet, pray. Pray for our church to grow in our life with God and each other. Pray for God to work among us for His purposes. Pray that we would feel our dependence on God and in knowing it, be satisfied in him. Pray for God to bring his life to the lost through how he uses our lives. And even if you can't physically get together with someone, pick up the phone and pray with someone. See, this life of prayer is an ongoing expression of our yearning for our Father's will to be done. And as verse 8 tells us, this is exactly how the Father answers our prayers. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me, be my disciples. In providing us Jesus and all that we need to remain in him. The father of our life proves he is the God of our life. He is glorified. When his life in us through Jesus yields the fruit of life. And as we remain dependent on Jesus for life. The power of God comes through in how we live our lives for God. We are often encouraging each other here to live our lives for God's glory. And that's such a good encouragement. We often feel the desire to be useful to that end in our lives. And that's such a good desire. I think we often feel like we need to come up with a big idea or a big venture that will bring God glory. But God says he works for his glory through his means and his methods. Do you want to glorify God in your life? Just remain in Jesus. Start by continuing in his word and in prayer with him. Fully connected and dependent on Him for everything. That's how you start. And from that you will get to watch as the life of God in your branch bears much fruit for God's glory. So John fifteen one through eight raises those three questions for us to consider. What kind of branch are you? What branches have fruit? What will happen to your branch? God evaluates our lives looking for fruit. And as he walks his vineyard, what does he see when he comes to you? Let's pray. Father, knowing that that it is the way to life and joy and salvation, we again gladly confess that you are the vine and we are the branches. And apart from your Son, Jesus Christ, and our enduring connection to Him and His life, we can do nothing. We pray that you would continue to prune us and show us how good it is to know life in Jesus. We pray that this week we would do all that we do knowing that all we have is Christ. And from him springs all kinds of other life you enable in his name. We pray that you would help us to be people who remain in your word and prayer. And as we invest in the means and methods you've described here in Jesus of how it is to remain in you and have life in you, we pray that you would bring about fruit that brings honor and glory to your name. We care about that. We care about that chiefly. We pray that you would guide us in this way through your spirit, according to your word, through the life given in Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.